Well, the title of the message this morning is Restoration. And I'd like to take a look at two sort of obscure commandments in the Bible that we don't look at very often. And to be honest with you, as, as I started this message, it really had nothing to do with these two verses. The Lord has ways of just taking what you think you're going to do and doing something else with it. I really, the text this morning is taken from Galatians, and it's just the first two verses, Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. I intended to look at the first 10 verses of Galatians, but as I looked at this, it sort of stretched out into a message in these two verses, and very challenging to me. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, let's read that. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's a pretty high standard that Paul gave to us in those two commandments. Restore and bear. So let's start with verse 1. First off, he's talking to brethren. He's talking to the church, born-again believers. And he says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, it isn't assuming that he's going to be, but it, he's realizing that we're human. And that humans stumble and fall at times. And <clears throat> it, it says, overtaken. And it has the thought of being an accidental fall. Um, and if you study into that word deeper, it would mean someone who is given in to, tempt, to temptation of some sort, a fleshly lust, a spur of the moment, something happens and they fall. And they, this, you know, they're being human. We all are. In this fault, it, it says, if you're overtaken in a fault, when you look at the Greek, it's the word parapipto. And it, it means a fall, a fault, an offense, a sin, or a trespass. And if you just look at the word fault, that's, well, or, you know, that's not so bad. But when you look at what all parapipto means, it's not just uh, idiosyncrasy in something we did. It's, you know, at times we fail. That's why God has given us grace and why he's given us the option, the privilege of redemption when we do fall, of forgiveness. So when someone falls, when someone sins and we know about it, then what? Ye which are spiritual, and that has the thought of someone who is responsive to the Spirit, someone who's walking daily with God, ye which are spiritual. Now, I didn't hear any mention of you that are teachers, or you that are pastors, or preachers, or deacons, or leaders. It doesn't say that. He said, ye which are spiritual. Now, who amongst you are spiritual? I hope every one of you that is a born-again believer is a spiritual person. 
This is not a responsibility of somebody else. This is a responsibility of every born-again believer. Brother Claire has no more responsibility here than you do in this command and what Paul's given us. That sort of struck me. It's easy for us to look, well, we'll let somebody else take care of this problem. Mm -mm. Restoration is, universal, is a universal responsibility of everyone in the church. Ye which are spiritual. I hope that that is the goal of every one of you is to be included in that phrase. It's a command to everyone. We all, if we love the Lord, should want to help our brothers and sisters to holiness. <clears throat> and it says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And the spirit of meekness, <clears throat> excuse me, is gentleness, kindness, and love. And to restore means to bring back to an original condition. Tonight we're going to have a baptism plan to. Good Lord willing. We have five young believers that are on fire for the Lord. They love the Lord. They've given their hearts to the Lord. That's an original condition. When we first come to the Lord and surrender our lives to Him in complete surrender and say, Lord, I want to do whatever you ask of me in life. That's the condition, no matter what, how old or young you are in your faith, that's the condition the Lord wants us to be in. We mature, but that's still the condition He wants us to be in, the original condition of our first love, loving Him with all our heart. We're restoring someone to that position. This person, and I'm sure it's been you at some point, it has been me. Needs restoration. The overtaken brother or sister needs to be restored. Not ignored. Not excused. Sin is, you can't excuse sin. Not belittled. Not shunned. They need restoration. Paul says it's our job to bring people back. That's the goal. To help and support people and bring them back to their original love for the Lord. And this job of restoration is all too easily brushed aside. Somebody else can do it. Uh, we'll just kind of ignore that issue. And as you think about church life, one of the complaints that you hear from churches, well, we gossip about it. We tell others about it. We talk about it. We may look the other way. We may criticize or we might even be tempted to think, hey, they can do that, so maybe I can get by with it too. Does that do that person any good? It doesn't. Now, there's a ditch on the other side of the road. And that ditch is harsh judgment. Unloving judgment. You fail. Harshness. Paul never mentions that we need to be harsh in restoration. So how, does we, how do we find, as we want to live a life of, or how, as we want to restore people, as we reach out in restoration, how do we find the middle of the road? How do we find the avenue through which 
to reach into people's hearts and lives. I think the only way to find that is through true meekness and love and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And once again, don't think, oh, that's the way the preachers ought to be doing it. That's the way mom and dad ought to be helping that person. Youth, you are involved. You are called to this restoration also. And I'll, get to, I'll give you an illustration in a minute. We all ought to be longing to help others walk closer to Christ. <clears throat> now, restoration, like I said, must always be done in the spirit of meekness. Paul says that here. Done in the spirit of meekness. Because we need to realize our own hearts and their fickleness, how quickly they can be swayed. Our hearts can be swayed. Our own weaknesses. Pride is the arch enemy of restoration. Someone who tries to help someone else through pride, it won't work. Unless you think that pride can't affect you in this, the thought, the thought, oh, that is awful what they did. I would never do something like that. If that's your thought, if that's mine, we need to check our hearts. It can be an indication that we have pride. Because yes, we can fall. Paul is very clear here. Lest thou also be tempted. <clears throat> it's been said there's two kinds of people in the world. One that admits he has a checkered past. And liars. And I think that's right. We've all had areas in our lives that we'd rather not remember. So we've all been in the same position that this person is in that has failed. So pride cannot have any part to do with us with restoration. It has to be out of meekness and love. We aren't equal to any other person in our congregations in the world. They are equal. They're not lower than us. There's no one lower than you and I. There's no one under us. And if we allow ourselves to think of someone as, you know, reaching down to help somebody up, we soon, soon can fall into pride. And pride can affect us. So there's two temptations involved in this re restoration process. First is pride, we've been talking about. And the second is the very thing that the fallen brother or sister has involved themselves in. It's that subconscious, well, they can do that, but why can't I? I think they're getting by with it, maybe I can too. Paul warns against that. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Careful, meek restoration. Now, Wearsby says, and this is going back to the other ditch of the road, Wearsby says, in regards to this verse, nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way the legalists treat those who have sinned. That statement shook me. Nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way the legalists treat those who have sinned. Now, I realize that's not scripture. That's a commentator. Wearsby saying it, but I think he's right. If we 
if we approach someone, how we approach someone who has failed and who needs restoration reveals what's in our own hearts. It reveals if we've forgotten where we've come from. It reveals if there's pride. You see, getting that person right, looking right, isn't the point. It's restoring them to their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the point. It's not covering up and getting rid of sin. No, that's not the point. It's the point is them being restored to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with us as we reach out to them. It's all about them and the Lord. So to encapsulate verse 1, we all have the responsibility to help this fallen brother or sister, but it only can be done through love and humbleness. Moving on to verse 2. It's another command. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's a command there. Bear ye one another's burdens. What do we do with that? Burdens here has the thought of a load large enough that a person should not carry it. But if you would read further on down the chapter, verse 5, I'll just read that quickly. We didn't read it. For every man shall bear his own burden. You could look at that and say, well, these two contradict each other. You're supposed to bear someone else's burden, but he's supposed to bear his own burden. What's this really saying? In the Greek, it's two different words. This burden here in verse 2, it has the thought of a burden that someone should not carry. Too much. The, verse, the burden in verse 5 has the thought of like a backpack. A normal load that everybody carries. Our normal responsibilities. The normal everyday life. Now we've been talking about restoration. And Paul is building on that thought. Reaching out in love to restore someone. As you're doing that, also bear their burdens. Their load that might make them stagger and fall into some sin or some maybe lack of faith and falling away from God. So why should we do all this? Why did God com- or Paul command this? He says to fulfill the law of Christ. So what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? Let's look at that. And let's start first by... Deciding what it is not. Bearing one another's burdens is not expecting others to, to bear ours for us. In the church, we can be lazy spiritually. We can expect everybody else to carry our burden for us. It's not what this is talking about. That is laziness, self-focus, selfishness. It's an entitlement mentality. We could come to church with the thought, what can I get out of church? What can church give to me? Wait a minute. What can I contribute to the church? Should be our way of looking at it. As a Christian, we should be very cautious to guard against the entitlement thought. And it's there. It's in our... It's, it's, Invading the church, the, the, the um, 
the world we live in deals, I shouldn't say deals with it, accepts this entitlement mentality very readily. And it is creeping into our circles. You know, why do we choose the church we do? Well, what do they do for us? That's not all wrong. But our thought should be, what can we contribute to the church of, of Jesus Christ? What can we do for the church? How can we support and help instead of, what are they going to do for me? So we are called to bear one another's burdens, but we're also called to bear our own. Now, what is this bearing one another's burdens? It's looking for ways to bless and encourage others. It's looking for ways to help them with difficult things in life. Now, if we are truly trying to obey this command, the Holy Spirit will show us ways for that to happen. I'm completely confident of that. And there's two reasons why I'm completely confident that God will show us ways to bear others' burdens. There's two reasons. One is what the text says. The text says that bearing one another's burdens is how we fulfill the law of Christ. And if the Holy Spirit wants to help us fulfill the law of Christ, isn't he going to show us how to do that, give us opportunity to do that? So the text would say, this is God's will, so I'm pretty confident the Holy Spirit's going to help us do it. Secondly, it's experience. And this is very, a very small experience, but I would like to share it. There's been many times in my life that I've felt prompted to pray for someone. And how that works for me, I'll just be open and honest with you. If I'm working around my normal day and the name of someone pops in my mind, just randomly comes to mind, I take that as a sign God wants me to pray for that person. And so I do. And it may not come back, you know, that main name may be a two or three minutes I think about that person, and I may forget about it. I'm just being honest with the way it works for me. Well, that happened Monday morning. And a brother, a brother's name popped in my mind. And I prayed for that person. I didn't know it until several hours later. That brother had one of the most stressful days of his life that day extremely hard day. And I remembered, you know what? God did prompt me to pray for that brother this morning. You know, it's a very small way, but prayer is bearing someone else's burdens. I don't know what effect that prayer had on his day, but he had a hard day and he needed support. God will use you if you allow him to. Very confident of that. So the key to bearing one another's burdens is praying for something. I'm sorry, is, yes, praying for them, but is following the leading of the Holy Spirit. I was getting ahead of myself there. In many ways, one's praying for someone. It might be a text, also a phone call, uh, a note, a meal. When God lays someone on your heart, what is he saying to do for that person? And then do it. You know, we can say, oh, yeah, I ought to do it. And it kind of passes and we don't do anything. Believe me, don't feel like I've got this conquered because it's, it's easy for me to remember to pray for someone, but to do more than that is, you know, it, it eats in our day. Some of you are much better at doing that than I am. But maybe it's checking in on someone that might be lonely. 
Maybe it's a $20 bill when, you know, times are tough for someone. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded again of the stories I've heard of Brother Franklin Burkholder and his generosity. You know, he's gone, but his legacy lives on. And I appreciate that, you know, a willingness to give. What a blessing. And sometimes it's bigger things. A helping hand when tragedy strikes. Someone's roof blows off. Are we there for them? Um, someone's moving. Are we willing to, you know, take a day, truck and trailer, or go help them? And the list could go on. All these are physical ways of bearing one another's burdens. We, and we can do that outside of the church, but I think we, we tend to focus more within the brotherhood. But the, the greater, more important thing is the spiritual. And probably the most difficult is the spiritual. You see, the world can do what we've been talking about. The world can, will, you know, hand somebody a $20 bill also. You know, we're, the church isn't isolated in reaching out in, in tragedies. So we're called to do that, but there's a deeper calling. And that's spiritual. God cares about those physical burdens. The Bible's clear he sees the sparrow fall. But he's much more interested in people's hearts. And it is the burdens of the heart where the church shines, where the church is really being called, I should say, to bear burdens. So what are those burdens of the, of the heart? And the first thing that came to mind was grief. We've had some people dealing with grief. Are we coming alongside and supporting them in any way? But there's depression. There's moral failures. There's sin. There's rejection, addictions, temptations, and the list goes on. But these are all things that affect our brothers and sisters and maybe affects us. They're hard things in life. Their burdens sometimes are more than a person should or can bear on their own. And that's what the church is here for. So what happens to a person that carries a load that is too heavy for them for too, for too long of a time? If we do it physically, it's eventually going to cripple us. You know, you can't carry too much for too long or you're going to physically suffer. The same thing is true spiritually. There can be physical damage, there can be spiritual damage if we, the load is too great for too long. And that's why we as a church are a body to reach out to each other. That's why Paul gives us this command to bear one another's burdens, to help each other along. And I told you I'd tell you youth of a story that affected youth. You are in the restoration process, or, or part of that process, you are important in God's church in bearing these burdens. I've got a friend. He's a young man. He's almost middle-aged now. But he told me, he said, when he was young, and he was in our youth groups, in one of our youth groups, he was addicted to drugs. Nobody knew it, or not very few people knew it. But one person found out, and it was a girl. One of the other girls in the youth group found out. They were good friends. There was never any romance involved or anything like that. But she cared about him enough to call him every morning and check on him. 
Today, he's drug-free. They're both pillars in the church. Very devout Christians, both of them. What had happened if that girl had said, eh, I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I'll just pray for him. And yeah, that would have been good. She took the time to call him every morning until that addiction was broken. Everyone here can be in the restoration business. Everyone can be following these commands. My friend is a pillar in the church today through the grace of God, but also through a sister reaching out to him when he was down. So why? Why would we go to the effort to reach into someone's life and walk with them, helping them carry their load? Verse 2, it's the last part, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what is the law of Christ? How, what are we trying to fulfill here? Well, let's turn to John 13. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Going the wrong direction here. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How is love proven? You can say you love someone all day long. But how is love proven? It's only proven through action. Words are nice. Actions proves it. That's the law of Christ, loving each other. Now let's turn to John 15. I'd like to read verses 12 to 17. John 15, verses 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call ye not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another." The law of Christ is love. Love in action. Love go, going beyond our selfish desires. Going beyond pride. Laying down who I am and what I want to reach out and help others. Draw them to Christ. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. True love puts others in front of ourselves. True love reaches out. It says it has fulfilled the law. What law? Christ's law. The law of sacrificial love. Christ came to give himself for others. What are we doing? Is my life demonstrating that? John 15, 12, again, 15, 12, and 13. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Am I, are you willing 
to fulfill the law of Christ, I'm glad I can call you my friends. And I know that you love me. And I hope you know that I love you and care about you. But does my actions prove it to you? Are we willing to restore and to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? Like the story I just told about the young man, it might make all the difference in someone else's life. Let's have a song.